Hello and welcome back to WA Real. I'm your host, Bryn Edwards. WA Real brings you real and authentic stories from fascinating people here in Western Australia. Stories to inspire and guide you to take action to be all you can be. There's a lot of buzz currently around cryptocurrencies, and in particular, Bitcoin. Today, we're very lucky to have on the show Kim Gibson-Newton. Kim, while born in Melbourne, was raised in WA. She's a trained accountant before leaving this behind to set up a successful business called Tribe Selling Herbs. In 2009, Kim first came across Bitcoin, and since then, together with a friend, has founded a growing Perth cryptocurrency community called Crypto Rocks which meets frequently to discuss and educate people in this area. Kim is also passionate about plant medicine and the role the role they can play in healing. Kim, welcome to the show. Thank you, Bryn. Thanks for cool. having me. So you grew up in, in Western Australia, having moved here um, from Melbourne as a baby. Um, what was it like growing up in Western Australia? And what does it mean to you to be Western Australian? I love being a West Australian. Um, I love the desert. So growing up here, I had the contrast of Hong Kong. My dad lived in Hong Kong, so I was often backwards and forwards. Right. So I had a good contrast there, but I really love the space. I love the desert. I love the beaches. Um, and I've, I've really uh, loved growing up in WA. Awesome. Awesome. So, um, so when I, in, at the end of 2015, start of 2016, I was made redundant and um, had a lot of time on my hands uh, for about three or four months. And I used to set myself little research subjects because I had this time on my hands to dive into things that uh, I was always curious about but never really understood. And so one week it was money. And so I got my head around how originally money were notes in exchange for not necessarily traveling with precious metals um, related to potentially the Knights Templar um, and how then the banks that were holding this this gold um, started to produce more notes than there were actually. So we got into fractional lending and all of that. And then um, we go forwards into reserve, global reserve currencies and then we go to like World War, after World War II with the Bretton Woods and linking currencies to gold. And then Nixon in the 70s, you delinked it. And then we had petrodollars and, mm. and how that is linked to oil and, and Saudi Arabia and the special relationship. And it was very, um, it was, it was super useful and super educational to actually sit back and, and, and look at it. And I think, I think Henry Ford said something upon the line of it is as well that the public do not know how money works, otherwise there would yes. be an uprising tomorrow. Yes. Now, I got my head around that, but one of the things I didn't go into, so there's just sort of, dare I say, standard currency. One of the things I didn't go into was cryptocurrency. So mm-hmm. I'm going to be surprised. I, I know something, a, a bit. I don't really know what I know and what I don't know. So <laughs> br- break it down for me. What are cryptocurrencies and how do they work? Okay. It's a, a really interesting area because it's, it kind of sits alongside the economy that we have. So mm. there's all these problems with liquidity in the world and, mm-hmm. um, so much money, fractional reserve lending. So there's so much mortgaging, creating more and more and more money. And so little of it actually exists in its physical form. Mm. So there's these massive liquidity problems. And there's a lot of the governments have the problem now that there's, there could be a run on the banks if, a small portion of people took their money out of the banks, the banks would really have a problem 
providing people with their money. So this this kind of system sits alongside the cryptocurrency system. And in my mind, it's really a new paradigm. It's a whole new way of looking at money. And it's such a um, rabbit hole for people to look into it. There's so many different vortexes you can go into mm. when looking at cryptocurrencies. And um, So you say it's a new paradigm. Can you explain that. What's the difference between the two Well, paradigms? because there's a whole lot of uh, thinking shifts that have to happen in order to understand it. So at the moment, with the mainstream adoption happening, there's very much a looking at this new paradigm with old paradigm glasses. Mm. So people are looking at how they can invest in uh, Bitcoin and they're looking at whether it's a bubble or not. But really, this is a whole different uh, way of looking. So, for example, we can get rid of the idea of two decimal places. There's no longer two decimal places in money. This money goes to 18 decimal places. Right. And uh, that's just one. But another really big one is the idea of market capital. Uh, so the idea that there is 100% of the market and a company needs to come in and, and get as much of that market as possible to be successful. Mm -hmm. And in this new paradigm, um, and this is what really blows my mind, this is an abstraction. It's a complete abstraction. So the market is infinite. It's as, it's as infinite as our imaginations. This is programmable money. There is no uh, physical thing to occupy. So um, there's no market to occupy. It's, it's completely infinite. Everybody could have a cryptocurrency tomorrow and the space would work and flourish and we would be in this consensual soup of uh, communication. There's no winner or loser. Everybody can be in the space. So what, what bits of the conventional paradigm do I actually have to give up um, to understand the new part of it? Because you're talking about sort of infinite there. Mm -hmm. Um and, and, and 18 decimal places. Um, I still don't get how. So in order to, for a new investor, like to actually just take that very first step to come into the space, because sometimes when you start using cryptocurrencies, they start making a bit more sense. But to, to come into the space, um, I would be putting aside all um, kind of technical analysis of the cryptocurrencies. So now there's 1,400 different cryptocurrencies. Yeah. Bitcoin is the first and the biggest yes. and is um, showing us, showing the way forward for all the other cryptocurrencies. But I would be looking at what each cryptocurrency achieves. So, and here is where this gets to be a, a much bigger fish. You could just take one cryptocurrency and see what, problems it solves in the world and you could spend weeks just researching that one cryptocurrency and you can hold a little bit of it and what they call hodl hold on for dear life so as the market does its price discovery and this crocodile tooth of charts it goes the price goes up and down and mm. everyone gets really panicky and all that you just hold on and if you believe in the tech and you can see that problems are being solved in the world then you hold on to that one coin and from there, like we have a lot of people in our meetup group that come in and they're brand new. It's just, it's a very first uh, experience. And it's like the elephant in the room. When you're researching it, depending on where you're standing in the room, which part of the elephant you're touching, you think 
Bitcoin is that, you think the elephant is that, it's yeah. the trunk, or, and these things are vastly different. So when you are looking at Bitcoin, sometimes the easiest way is just to come in, buy a little bit of it, set your wallet up, um, and start trading in it and start researching the technology because some of the things, some of these technologies are reshaping the planet uh, wow. and it's happening in a very uh, amazing way. How are they reshaping? So um, I love Charles Eisenstein's book, Sacred Economics. It's right. um, a beautiful understanding of um, how we kind of got to this place of 1% of the population owning most of the resources. And Charles Eisenstein talks about how if humanity was sharing in everything that we have discovered and created, if we all shared in that, then no one would need to work as hard as we're working. So, um, but because 1% of the population actually hold the rights to that, then we we need to keep working for that 1%. Yes. Um, With the cryptocurrency space, because it is this great new infinite space and it's consensual, there is no one owning this technology, it's a shared space. So a win for one cryptocurrency because the code is shared is a win for all of the cryptocurrencies. So an example I can give of the, you know, like a physical example of how this is happening is with some of the ICOs. There's one in Perth called Power Ledger. ICOs meaning? uh, Initial coin offerings. So... um, this is like a big fundraising for companies. They, instead of issuing shares and a prospectus on the stock exchange, they'll issue an initial coin offering in order to raise funds. And companies need to do this because no one actually owns the technology once it's built. They need yeah. to make the money beforehand to build the technology and then they distribute it for everyone uh, so everyone owns it. So they're, they're doing these ICOs, these initial coin offerings. Companies are doing these ICOs to raise money to write this technology and they're doing it with smart contracts and that's a whole other thing. Right. But um, one of these ICOs is a Perth company called PowerLedger and it's a fantastic company using the Western Power Grid and they are um, allowing, it's like a, an Airbnb exchange that allows the trading of solar power energy. Right. So it's creating more efficiency and it's allowing people to make money from their solar panels. So if I had an excess amount of power in my battery, say, of solar power, I could sell that to somebody else for one of these coins. Well, Power Ledger, and at the moment yeah. it's it's a tricky thing to explain these initial coin offerings. They started uh, last year coming up. Um, a lot in all of these companies to invest in, but the technology is just being written now. So the software is just being deployed for a lot of them now. So they haven't actually been birthed into the world. And uh, 2018, I think, is going to be an enormous year because we're going to start seeing a lot of this technology um, coming into the world. But Power Ledger is um, one I like to talk about because it's a West Australian mm. um, technology and it will allow people with solar solar power uh, solar panels to sell their power back to the grid at decent rates and the western power have already agreed to use their to allow their the existing grid to be used for this kind of airbnb marketplace of solar power so you wouldn't be trading getting paid in in cents and dollars you'd be paid in something else for trading your it, energy 
I'm not sure how it's going to work in relation mm. to converting back to cents and dollars. But yeah. from where we're sitting right now, we can invest in this uh, in this company by buying the tokens. So like a cryptocurrency, um, it's listed with the cryptocurrencies um, on the markets. You can buy some of these tokens to invest in this company. And that's and then what do I do with these tokens? Well, I, I say once you've bought your uh, – and for me, because we're at such a beginning uh, of this, this new paradigm, I, I believe it's a great idea to buy tokens or cryptocurrencies that you truly believe in, that you can see how they're reshaping mm. um, things and providing solutions, and then hodl, hold on for dear life. Because you, you said earlier on, um, look at what the cryptocurrency and what the problem it's solving Mm-hmm. So what is the problem that Power Ledger is solving? It's solving a problem of rising power costs um, and uh, allowing solar power, which we have so much of in Australia, allowing solar power to be uh, cost effective for people to build. So it's really going to increase um, increase the solar power, people building solar panels to use solar power because then people will be able to sell that solar power back to the grid and either reduce their power costs or even receive a distribution. Right. Possibly in dollars. So that's when the software is written, that's what will happen. And the, the tokens, I'm not sure how they'll monetize these tokens yet, but the token price already is going up quite considerably. Right. And what is the what is the problem Bitcoin's trying to solve? Okay. Bitcoin is uh for me, in 2009, when I first discovered Bitcoin, I didn't quite understand it. Um, I thought it was just um, you'd have to be really technical to get into it, didn't know how to buy it, and I kind of left it alone for a while. In 2014, it really came into my radar again and I bought some and immediately saw the potential of this currency to create a borderless system. So... There are so many, there's 60% of the population at the moment that are completely unbanked. So they have no banking services and they have no participation in the global economy. So 60% this 60%. And that, that's in the sort of standard banking system. That's in the standard banking system. So mm. when these people receive money um, for doing work, they often, if they're sending money they or receiving money, they often have to use Western Union. They have yeah. to use very expensive services to receive money. That can cost quite a lot. And I think something like 10% of, uh, on average, of all foreign aid gets uh, taxed or paid to the banks. Yeah. So it's a really crazy situation. Um, for a lot of the population. So for us, it's a really amazing investment and, and, you know, learning and watching. But for some of these third world countries, it's really key mm. to changing the way they operate and allowing them to, uh, to trade and participate in the global economy. So in that instance, then somebody would be paid either in money or Bitcoin, and then they would transfer the Bitcoin borderlessly to some, to a family member. And then the family member can cash it in for. Local currency. That's correct, yeah. And in Uganda, they're already receiving money in Bitcoin. Well, this was a while ago. Maybe there's a different currency now um, that they're using because the Bitcoin transaction fees are quite high. But in Uganda, they're already receiving cryptocurrencies and then going to a marketplace and changing it for their local currency. Right. So it's a it's a very quick and almost free transaction for them compared to the very expensive, very timely mm. um, transactions that they used to have to to endure. Right. 
Um, so what there's this there's phrases that you know there's entities such as uh, blockchains and mining and that can you explain those as well sure okay um so in my i'm not a technical person so um but in my my uh looking at this technology growing there's three main things that that comprise of the bitcoin network and uh, when we talk about Bitcoin, the currency, usually it's written with a small b. When we're talking about the whole network of Bitcoin, it's the, the large b. So this, this whole network, it's built on, uh, three things. So one thing is cryptography. Mm. And this is this really clever mathematics that allows, uh, allows us to really value our identity so that we can, mm. we can transact in a trustless way because our identity never reaches the network. We're transacting Without using our identity and right. cryptography is the, the safeguard that, um, protects our identity. So that's one thing. And then the blockchain is the second thing. And that's like a, uh, a blockchain is like a ledger, but it's a chain of ledgers. So right. it's called an immutable record, which means it's, it's never changing. So you can, uh, look at a transaction today and you can trace it all the way back to the very first block that was ever mined. Right. So it's this immutable ledger. Um, and it's an amazing system, the blockchain, because when you make a transaction, that transaction gets broadcast to every Bitcoin, every node in the system. Right. And they all update at once. So, so if you sold me a book and I mm -hmm. paid you in Bitcoin, Everybody would know that we've just. That's right. That transaction. And we would, as you would pay me and then the, the, we'd wait for a confirmation when one node gets that transaction would get one confirmation. Then another node would do the second confirmation and then all nodes would update. And then that transaction is, is mm. safe on the blockchain. So it's a, an amazing way that we can uh, transact in a very safe, transparent way and transparent way without using our identity. So there's so there's a ledger of all transactions, yet they're anonymous transactions. Mm -hmm. Okay, and, and then the, the third piece. The third piece is the proof of work, or the um, the way I understand this piece is the monetization. Like you have to you have to incentivize the miners, the people running the nodes, and the the equipment that generates the the blocks of Bitcoin, who are also doing the transacting of um, confirming these transactions you have to incentivize them to 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 dedicate their computer power to um mining bitcoin or so, to doing so that this is the bit where it gets sketchy for me you've now talked about um mining uh mining the bitcoin and, and that's where i get i struggle so what what is that part so mining is um is uh where it's it's really like a big game of bingo it's a big game of bingo and computers are solving extremely difficult mathematical problems. Um, and when they come up with the solution, they bingo and they win a block. And that happens every 10 minutes. So if there's many people doing this, then the difficulty of those problems gets adjusted in order that every 10 minutes one block will be released and the miners get paid in Bitcoin for that. Um, and what are the mathematical problems they're solving? It's now this is to cryptography again. This is a very technical bit, and I don't fully understand it. But it is um, hashing is 
a way of um, uh, kind of coding or um, scrambling a transaction and making it a specific length and then putting it onto the system. And so that hashing power, they, they keep uh, changing one of those numbers until they get the correct number. So they, they, it's like a bingo game. So they select a number, it gets hashed, it goes onto the system. No, that's yeah. the wrong one. They get the next one, it goes on, it's the wrong one. And it's actually an arbitrary system that creates the, um, the 10 minutes the 10 minutes gaps. So, so who's doing the mining? So it used to be everyone doing the mining, but now you need special equipment. You need ASIC um, equipment. You need special equipment that has enough hashing power to do so the mining. So if, if I could buy one of those, then I could start to mine and hash out. That's correct, yeah. Bitcoin. Yeah. So I'm struggling to work out what the point of that is. So this is – and this is for me – the very exciting part is the monetization of this system. So we have a system that is um, immutable. It's unchangeable. Mm. The ledger goes all the way back. You can see exactly what's happened. You, you, you know, and this, even just this piece by itself will, will change the globe, the financial uh, accounting world because you wouldn't need to then pay expensive accountants to come up with information. It's all on the blockchain Bits of code can be written to create information that we need. It really is quite an incredible system. Mm. Um, I, I sort of get that bit of having the ledger being transparent and the anonymous part is the fact that there's is it 21 million Bitcoins are created yes. um, and how many have been circulated so far or released? There's 16 million um, so far. So far. Mm-hmm. But they get released by as you put it, um, using computer power to solve mathematical problems. Mm-hmm. And then when you get the bingo call, then you get, is it one Bitcoin every 10 minutes is yes. released. And so if I had this computer, then I would win that. Yeah. But I still don't get what is the mathematical thing I'm doing. It's uh, They end? call it an elliptical for, for, for what, what end? end? It's if a- only to to play the game of bingo mm-hmm. to win the Bitcoin. So there's a couple of reasons. Number one, you'd be earning Bitcoin. So as the price of Bitcoin goes up, miners are incentivized to. Okay. But then also it's supporting the network. So it's interesting because with Bitcoin, it's not like normal investments because people are actually in this, even when the price drops, people are staying with it. There's really a big philosophical reason why this is such an ethical uh, playing field. So I mm. think a lot of people who exist in this space are doing it because, you know, like this could change the world. This could be really quite incredible at reshaping. If it was going to be equitable, why not give everybody 10 Bitcoins at the start and, and let everybody go yeah. forward? You know, I get the ethical, I get the ethical part of it in terms of having a clear ledger and anonymous and, and that part of it. However, I struggled to see the ethical or, or the equitable part of the fact that if I had um, lots of dollars and I could go and buy the, the ASIC equipment to go and mine it, and then mm-hmm. I could end up hoarding Bitcoin. And yeah, okay, you'd see that I, how much money I've got, uh, yeah. Bitcoin money I've got. But then surely 
because of the very fact that I am, am rich in one paradigm, mm. means that I've now got a lot of Bitcoin in another paradigm. So how do things change? Well, this is it's interesting because I see a lot of Unless people. I've got it wrong. Um, well, it's interesting how people hold on to Bitcoin and and don't spend it. Is that is that what you're saying? Sorry, it's, it, it's the fact that they're released. Mm-hmm. And, and what I get in, in the trail of, of Bitcoins being released in, in blocks every 10 minutes, mm-hmm. that then in the trail of that, we might trade and, you know, I could buy a book or services from you in Bitcoin because we think that's the best way to do it. Mm-hmm. And it, and it's borderless and we have none of these troubles and everything's super crystal clear and we're not dealing with banks anymore. We're not mm-hmm. doing fractional lending. Mm-hmm. We're not doing all of that stuff. Right. So that, that's all gone, which is lovely. So you only spend what you've got. You know, yes. I take it we've not got Bitcoin credit cards, so mm-hmm. I'm not I'm not saying, oh, I'll give you the Bitcoins later. Mm-hmm. Um, so none of that's there. It's all it's what you see is what you get. Yes. Um, which is, you know, where we started with gold before and, and, and storing it before the bankers decided mm-hmm. to generate more notes of, mm-hmm. of you can pick your gold up and down the road instead of traveling it and not being nicked by thieves. But I'm still, there's a bit that's not quite sitting right for me in terms of how the Bitcoins come into existence and who owns them at that point. You're telling yes. me that as Bitcoins become more valuable because more people want them, you need more computing power. Mm-hmm. To have more computing power, I've got to have a bigger computer. Mm-hmm. If, I, if I go and prospect by getting a bigger computer, then I can go and you know, find myself more Bitcoins. But mm-hmm. I would need a big computer to do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and also if I did, there's a lot. Then I could make myself very Bitcoin rich. Yes, well. So where's the equity? There, in that? There's all. It's 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 very the way the Bitcoin goes out is very much related to, and this is an interesting mathematical. And I I haven't I'm not so technical okay. that I understand that, but it's very interesting how it's kind of a an even spread. You know, the the Bitcoin. <clears throat> being awarded is very much about how much computer power you dedicate to the network. So it's almost like you can't win a block of Bitcoin as a miner unless you have dedicated your hashing power. Your, yeah. So, and, you know, so then you've got to think about uh, electricity and the cost of the rig and you're running your computer maybe six hours a day. So there's a whole lot of uh, things around that. Um, yeah. But while this computer's generate doing stuff, mm. it's kind of why is it? Is that bit the there's, Bitcoin is the reward? Yeah, and this is interesting but because it's almost like a false. Reward? It's a false friction. So I understand your question. It's a false friction. Why have that friction in the marketplace? Yeah, is that, yeah. Um, if I go, so and the, if you on. had a blockchain. Um, and this is, it's so funny because a blockchain really is just a very, uh, slow kind of inefficient database. If you had a third person, um, like a bank or, um, say PayPal, or if you had a third person looking after the ledger, mm. then you can do it super fast and low transaction costs and very quickly. If you use a blockchain, it's kind of slow and it's more expensive. And But the benefit of the system and the reason it's such a game changer is because it's a um, completely trustless space and it's neutral. Hmm. So you could be a child, you know, playing computer games and earning cryptocurrencies or you could be a person in a third world country. It does not. It's a completely neutral space. Everybody can hmm. access 
and use the system um, and the transactions cannot be stopped. Right. So each currency is in effect encouraging a certain set of behaviours to earn them yes. in in after that, then we can decide whether we want to trade them. And yeah, I mean, yeah. I interviewed a, I interviewed a, a sexologist last week. Mm-hmm. And when I said, Oh, I'm going to have a discussion about cryptocurrency next week, she was telling me how, um, there are porn coins. So mm-hmm. people are paid porn coins to watch porn. Mm-hmm. It's an incredible space because, and this is the consensual environment because it, it's it's like previously when we relied on banks, if we wanted to achieve something, we needed to go to the bank and we need to convince them of our business plan and, you know, um, arrange credit or, or, you know, arrange things with the bank. But now this is programmable money. So we can program the coin and because it is an unlimited space, all a coin needs is two people to use that coin and it's successful. Yeah. You know, the more people that use it and the p- more popular it is, the the higher the price will be. But really, in order to exist in the space, all you need is two people to use that coin. And it's a useful coin. It's solving a problem for two people. And when you're, you know, thinking, oh, well, you know, I get a little triggered by porn as well and I, I wouldn't use a porn coin. But then there's a question then about do we – police everyone, do we listen to the government when the government says, for your own good, we're worried about your safety, we're not going to allow you to transact today or, you know, these questions of reducing our freedoms in order to protect us. How much protection do we need and are we okay by ourselves to to transact and to create money and use it well? Mm, Because, yeah, because on one level money... At the end of the day, a transaction and the money, it's all down to confidence. I mm. i have confidence that what I am trading you for, I can that still has equatable or I hope possibly more value. I can then go off and do other things with and trade. So it comes down to this very, um, yeah, it's, it's very much confidence and trust-based. Yeah. Um, so I like there's open transparency in the blockchain. I like the anonymity. Mm-hmm. Um what is it going to take for this to take off to the point where a huge amount of people are confident? Okay, so it's 2017 was crazy. We rode in in the meetup group, we rode this incredible exponential curve of the price of Bitcoin and so many people coming in. I think this year we're going to see um, we're about 3% of people use the Bitcoin network, which is quite small compared to the news around it. So there is a definite mainstream looking to come in. And And how much is the total Bitcoin market worth? Um, Oh, billions. I I haven't checked today, but it changes every few minutes. Yeah, because if you have a finite amount of Bitcoins, Mm. then you know how much it, it will cost, how much it's worth. Oh, yeah, if everyone was using the system. Well, if you have, what do you say, 16 million Bitcoins in mm-hmm. existence, if we yeah. know what one Bitcoin is in, in Australian dollars, then we can, then we can work out what the cost of the total. Yes. Yeah. 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 And it, ch- but it changes so much. We're yeah. still in price discovery of, mm. uh, uh, of the market, like how much there is in, in billions. Yeah. Um, but 2018 is a very big year because we're looking at the, 
price, like how Bitcoin scales, how can we fit in all the people who want to be transacting in Bitcoin into the system? It's kind of already creaking and groaning mm. to fit everyone in. So the first question is how does Bitcoin scale? Uh, yeah. And the second question is government regulation. So there's already lots of kind of coordinated uh, government talk about um, trying to control Bitcoin. And if does that not then defeat what you were saying? Before? Well, it does in that if uh, if the governments did do that, then it would defeat the purpose. Then there's no point. We may as well be using a, a database cheaper and and letting someone else control us. But the interesting thing and what we're all waiting to see is can they actually do it? And it was my understanding a year ago that the Australian government was a bit shy of looking at regulation because they didn't know if they actually could stop the transactions. Mm. So, um, and if it's out in the internet world and borderless, that's how it. do government regulations actually play into that? And certainly the ramps into and out of the fiat government currency of Australian mm. dollars, fiat they can certainly non gold based. Non gold based, yeah. So, yes. So they can they can be policing those ramps into and out of uh, Australian fiat dollars. Yes. But once you're in the cryptosphere, there is no identity. So, you know, and again, another one of these new paradigm thoughts is that we again value our identity. Wow, our, our identity is is uh, is one of our most valuable assets, and where we put our attention is uh, in this new paradigm world there is the the possibility of monetizing each piece of our attention. Hmm. So our attention becomes a... Well, the internet is one big attention grab. It is. But and at the moment, um, other people are, are making the money from our attention. So Facebook monetizes our content. We spend time in there and writing good content and Facebook monetizes it. So if you look at the blockchain alternative of minds... Mm. You write the content and you receive the distribution for that. Um, hence, mm -hmm. hence how the porn coin works. Yes, everything everything you do, because it's decentralised and there's no third um, party, then any, any part of your attention, uh, the distributions then go back to the person using the system. So Steam is a blogging platform. And when you go on there and you write your blogs, you get paid Steam dollars for the amount of people that read your blogs. Right. So it's an incredible, and this is such a big paradigm shift. Like we're getting, um, we keep so hold of really our. Attention. It's, it really is a, an attention rewarding. Yes. Paradigm. And we're really just starting to, uh, because a lot of the software that's been written is going to be coming out in 2018. I think it's going to be a slow, we're really going to just open uh, our eyes to the amazing possibilities of this abstraction of money. So theoretically then, take on what you're saying, I, I could create WA Real Dollars. And mm -hmm. if you listen to the whole of one of these podcasts, if you listen to the whole of you now and you get to the end, then you can have a WA Real coin. Yeah, you could you could reward people for listening. And if you put it all onto the blockchain, um, then that would happen. You could that could happen automatically, and you make that code. Whoever writes that code, it's available for everyone to see, and that can just happen automatically. Um, and perhaps people could buy some of your products with the with the coins that they earn. Mm. Mm. Interesting.
It's just been a, a little genesis of, a, genesis of an idea there right in the middle of the <laughs> podcast. So who, who actually created Bitcoin? So this is... Because this oh, is shrouded in mystery Yeah, as well. this is such an amazing mystery. So Satoshi Nakamoto is a pseudonym, and we don't know if it's a group of people, a man, a woman. We really don't know it's a pseudonym. The code was for Bitcoin. The white paper was um, dropped into the GitHub and yeah, that? into it, it was dropped into a um, a place where very technical people go. <laughs> I don't really go yeah. there myself. I don't understand, but they saw this white paper and it was developed. But the interesting thing, it was Bitcoin's birthday um, recently, 9th of January, and um, if we go right the way back to the very first block that Satoshi Nakamoto ever mined. So he wrote the white paper and talked about how it was going to happen, and then he mined the first block. And he attached a note to that first block. And that note was a reference to a newspaper article. Very interestingly, it was an article about the first banking bailout. Mm. So, and we, we've obviously don't know who he is or she is, and we don't know the motivation for designing Bitcoin, but the fact that it made reference to the very first banking bailout. In, in uh, 2008. In 2009. 2009. Yes, yeah, so it made reference to a newspaper article, The Times, and I think yeah. that article might have been 2008. And right. that was the very first time the money supply, you know, the money supply through the Fed was just going up at a steady rate. And then yeah, when the first bank bail, it just went crazy. And now it's just, you know, it's it's the debasement of the economy, basically. It is, all the um, so we can only assume, well, I assume that, that Satoshi Nakamoto, uh, designed Bitcoin to be an alternative, a much more ethical where a transaction mm. is a transaction and you can look at the charts, um, of a price of a coin and know that that exactly represents its real price. It's not manipulated. Yes. Mm. I, I, yeah, I like that. Yes. Cause there's a lot of, in read coming into this, tried to research who created it, and that that in itself just blew up. It's such an amazing story, and there was actually yeah. a man called Craig Wright, and I haven't actually read into this story, but he's an Australian, I think, a Sydney man who came out and said he was Satoshi Nakamoto, and I don't think they've proven that it was him, and he didn't seem too happy about yeah saying that. So, very interesting story. So, how? How will this change um, the, the prevalence of the economy um, or economics and money in today's society? You know, why is it that um, you know, if I start asking questions like why, why is it that someone on St. George's Terrace may get paid a whole stack more than a nurse, yet nurses there to save lives, et cetera, yeah. et cetera, um, why is it that you know we can't build more um, more and, and, and fund better schools and hospitals and things like that? Mm. Um, because uh, and the economic part of that, and there's sometimes where it just doesn't feel yeah. right. Yeah. Um, it's easy for us to say, oh, because there isn't enough government funding, or because there isn't yeah. enough this, and there isn't enough, you know, there isn't enough money. That's why we can't do what we inherently deep down know to mm. be correct mm -hmm. why is there not this for um my child and all the children to be treated equally etc etc yeah. how would cryptocurrency change that well or, this was or one we of just going from 
one monetary based um one monetary based system to another one despite the fact it's new and sexy and borderless and stuff mm-hmm. like that how is it actually going to change that this is one of the things that first excited me in 2014 is the potential to um to transact for usefulness and for popularity and to really and this is just my opinion of what could happen and what excites me so much is the possibility that um, the government won't be able to tax as deeply, the government will shrink, and inefficiencies will just um, have to exit the system. So when there's so much paperwork around something or so much control of an industry, um, inefficiency comes into the industry, um, perhaps people are being paid that shouldn't be paid. Or, But if you could imagine the situation of blockchaining government spending, so at the moment we have the possibility of um, blockchaining food supplies so that we come and we look at some oranges and then we can tell all the way back to where they were grown um, mm. and we can see how many miles they, they travelled and the cost of its journey to us. So if you can imagine blockchaining government spending so that you can be sure that every tax dollar uh, we pay is actually meeting and being allocated in the way it's meant to be allocated. And so you can really, when there's that kind of transparency, you can really see the inefficiencies. Mm. Um, so that's just one of the um, potentials is that we'll transact for usefulness and we, we can uh, blockchain and really see where these inefficiencies are. Hmm. But does that change the actual supply of money to have all the teachers and their materials, et cetera, in, in the school and the school to be built in the first place? Well, this is interesting. I, I think 2018 is all about governance. It's all about how we solve problems. Yes. And at the moment, um, well, with the, with the economy, um, the standards kind of economy that we exist in, they're not doing so good at solving problems. So, you know, looking at all the ways that we can solve problems is really, you know, and, and having, um, coins dedicated to solving these problems mm. is a really exciting. And even if it was just the fact that 60% of the people who are previously previously unbanked, join the global community. What's that going to look like? Mm. Um, the fact that the financial administrative layer of the planet could be reduced by um, huge percentages. What's the world going to look like then? And ultimately, I think the the um, other amazing thing that could happen in this big mental paradigm shift is that we no longer are in competition with each other. So, in the old paradigm, we're conditioned to um, authority. So we're told, you know, what to do with our money and what's good and what's bad. And there's a real sense of judgment and and market share in this kind of old paradigm. But yeah. in this new paradigm, there's no one to tell us how to invest. And that's why there's such a um, diverse amount of information out there. There's no one actually telling us what to do. There is a new level of sovereignty and community because it's a, a space where well, everybody gets where to. Where does that come from? Um, sovereignty in that we're looking after our own keys, we're looking after yes. our own stash, and we're seeking out information ourselves. No one is telling us uh, there is no authority and there's no right or wrong. They're simply useful or not useful. Mm. Um, and so this new um, 
kind of, for me, it feels like very much like enlightenment, this scientific enlightenment. It's like a flowering where everybody gets to be right. Everybody gets to flower and be um, wildly different and acceptable. There can be porn coin. There can be, you know, there's a great range of hemp coins. There's privacy coins. There's every type of uh, money and we all get to coexist. So when we sit in the meetup group, it's so exciting because we're all so different and we all sit together. We have a chartered accountant and, you know, there's a crypto nan in our group. We all sit together and everybody has a um, a brilliant piece of the puzzle in this this kind of consensual playing field and we're doing our own research and kind of helping each other solve problems and answer questions. So would we get so do you envisage the point where we get to the point of you know, paying our mortgage in cryptocurrency? Yeah, that's happening now. Yeah, there's there's uh there's growing there's there's transactions happening. I think there was one um just a couple of days ago where someone bought a house in Australia with cryptocurrencies with Bitcoin. So it's, it's happening now. Um, and I just had a conversation with our, with my friend Karina and chartered accountant around the implications, the tax implications of, um, conveying a property with Bitcoin. So, and I don't know the details of that yet, but mm. it's definitely a growing, uh, growing trend. Mm. Cause how, how does tax view Bitcoin? Um, or cryptocurrency? At the moment, it's, uh, quite good in Australia at the moment. Mm. I don't know about the other situations in other countries, but if you um, if you buy your Bitcoin and the price rises, you'll pay capital gains tax. Um, but it's that's only rather than money. it's seen as an asset. That's right. But only when you convert it back to Australian dollars. Right. So if you were to um, enjoy that gain by using it to pay your rent or pay your bills, which you can do now, um, then there's no tax implications for that. And if you hold your your um, cryptocurrencies for more than a year, then mm. you pay less tax as well. I think it's 50% you pay. Of- like with other assets? Yes. Right. This would be very threatening to governments, let alone central bank. Because mm-hmm. um, the central bank model has been the one that's been slowly creeping around the planet for years and years and years and you know you can draw your own conclusions when you look at which countries didn't have a central bank 10 years ago and which ones um have been had military action in them in the last 10 years um so they're not going to give this up without a fight are they no i think it's i think they're figuring out how to to dance with cryptocurrencies, and I think it's really coming into the regulation uh, domain this year. I think will be the year that we see the governments really trying to uh, control, if they are going to control. Um, interestingly, in South Korea, they um, the treasurer there has been saying that he wants to curb cryptocurrencies and. South Korea sits on the Financial Security Board, which was um, started in 2009, and it's made up of 23 countries. So it's the IMF. It's all the biggie economies Mm. are in this FSB. And he was talking at the FSB just a couple of days ago and said, we need to work together to curb virtual currency trading. So the interesting question is, can they actually do that? Um, And how will they dance with it? Because also... 
Um, I know America have lost a lot of good companies because they have so much regulation. So these companies are just going uh, overseas. There's a lot of companies that are set up in Singapore. Um, Japan is very cryptocurrency friendly. Mm. So what's going to happen to these economies where massive amounts of capital are flowing out of their economy um, to these cryptocurrency companies and their their moving location? So it's a very interesting to mm. see how the governments will um, will be this year with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, because it's in 2008 when the governments bailed out the banks, now we're getting to the point where the governments are quite leveraged up. Yeah, and, and they, the governments have enjoyed a monopoly over the currency for a long time. Yeah, and 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 they obviously receive income from our taxes. Mm-hmm. And then if they're not, if we're moving our currency around, it's going to leave them short. And yeah. the more they have to pay these debts, back to central banks, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Who's going to pay the bill? There's interesting talk about many governments starting their own cryptocurrency. So with their problems with the money supply, um, rather than risking a run on the banks, um, there's uh, America talking about the Fed coin and um, Australia have even kind of talked a little bit about the idea of having a, an Australian cryptocurrency as well. That would be centralised. So um, it's, a, it's a bit of a scary concept. It removes every fungible private aspect of society if the government controls a cryptocurrency rather than cash. Um, there's an interesting... Um, economist called Doug Casey who talks about the Fed coin and he predicts that the American government will bring the Fed coin out and in order to um, incentivize people to use the Fed coin then then um, allow the American dollar to inflate. So as the American dollar looks worse and worse then the Fed coin looks better and better. But it's a centralized system so and it's not moving uh, people from one to another subtly. That's right. And mm. you know if it's a centralized blockchain, if we and this is interesting where we start valuing identity. Wherever we are asked to verify our identity, alarm bells need to go off. It's no longer a decentralized, uh, it's no longer an anonymous system. Yes. So uh, the, our identity is so important in this system. And um, so also there's a call for more um, decentralized exchanges because most of the exchanges that we're using in our meetup group are um, exchanges that report to the Australian government. So we're already kind of identified. So there needs to be more decentralized exchanges so that we can um, transact from fiat to crypto uh, on these exchanges. Hmm. How do you see how do you see um, gold sitting in all of this? Because previously um you know, golden pinned money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's been the two have been delinked, which is why we end up with the fiat currencies. Yes. Yet there's um, there's a body of evidence that suggests that we could be up for a, another big global upset, mm-hmm. possibly the demise of the um, the dollar as the reserve currency of the world, moving to SDR special drawing rights from the IMF. Um, and when certain things like that happens, everybody runs back to things that they know are most valuable, um, mm-hmm. such as gold. Um, how does that play in all of this? 
Um, I like gold and silver. I like it because it's uh, it's real. You can see it. It's um, it has value. Yes. Uh, so I, I think it's a it's a great thing to hold in these times where there's this crazy money supply. It's really a kind of a hedging, and with cryptocurrencies, it's almost like a digital version of that. It has a it has a, an existence. Um, what does? Cryptocurrencies, because we have this immutable how get, ledger. How did you get to that? You know, because essentially <laughs> you're talking about something which is only a mere number on a screen. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're talking about if I stuck a bar of gold in your hand, you, mm-hmm. the listeners are here. It'd be clink. You might well drop it. Yeah. Um, you know, so it, it's solid and tangible. And mm-hmm. yet, um, you know, money was the first step away from intangibility. And now we're, now we're talking about numbers mm-hmm. on, mm-hmm. on a computer screen. Mm-hmm. This is amazing. And then you're, I, call, you're calling it tangible. Yeah, yeah, yeah. This is, this is an incredible thought to get your head around. But with the digital revolution, first we had internet, but you can copy and paste things on the internet. So mm. it's, it's digital, but it's still a way abstraction. It's information mm. in the cloud. Bitcoin is the first digital thing. And Andreas Antonopoulos, a brilliant humanitarian coder, talks about this, but Bitcoin is the first digital thing. So it's it's tangible in that if I pay you some Bitcoin, I no longer have it and now you have it. Yeah. We've never been able to do that without a third party holding another a copy, ledger and then we need to trust part. that third party and then they need to verify who you are. And so there's a there's a whole lot of infrastructure set up around um that. But we can disintermediate that middleman and uh, transact directly. There is a digital thing happening. It's like the birth from the beginning of the internet. Now we have something that is almost tangible that has happened. That moves. Uh, within. That moves. It, this Bitcoin moves around. Yeah. It's it's quite a you know a, an amazing thing. But at the same time, what's stopping somebody to creating more things? The code. And this is another awesome thing. And I don't understand. I can look at, a, you know, the code. I'm not going to understand it, but there are clever people who do. And every cryptocurrency, um, they show their code. So before you invest in it, you can see what's happening. Mm. You can see that it will be a, a limited supply. There is only going to be this much it released Brutal in this amount of time. Brutal transparency, but we keep our identity. So... The value of the system then becomes our name and our uh, attention and everything to do with us, our identity becomes valuable again. We are sovereign beings. Mm. It's a very big paradigm shift and a very exciting one. Um, and I think as we start to use the system, just even just, you know, um, downloading a wallet and buying a, a small amount of cryptocurrency, maybe Bitcoin or Ethereum or Litecoin, um, maybe buying a hardware wallet, a Trezor, you know, just doing these simple steps um, and the rabbit hole gets deeper. You look around in this space and, and um, communicate in this space. It's really quite incredible. Hmm. Yeah, a lot of that's just sinking in now. Mm-hmm. Superb. Um, let's move to... I was going to say, let's move to your interest in plant. Is there anything else you think I should know or listeners should know about um, cryptocurrency? I think there's a lot of um, FOMO and FUD, fear of missing out and fear, uncertainty and doubt in the yes. market, FOMO and FUD around cryptocurrencies. But I really love the idea 
of um, buying a little bit of cryptocurrencies, mm. um, riding the waves, you know, put it aside if you have to because it can be crazy when it goes up and you've made all this money and then it goes down and, like, it can be quite uh, big waves at the moment. But I suggest just get a little bit and hold on to it and hodl, hold on for dear life because it's investing in a uh, completely free system. And I love there was a brilliant quote by a, um, a investor, I can't remember his name, but he said that Bitcoin is a system to free us from oligarchs and tyrants dressed up as a get-rich-quick scheme. Yes. So I love the idea that we just grab some and hold on to it and just start using it. Right. And, uh, and how, how would I do that? So it's, it's very easy. You just download a um, an app. Uh, so I like the Mycelium wallet. That's the one I use. So you just go to the app store and download yep. the Mycelium wallet, um, and then you're ready to receive Bitcoin. It's right. not as safe as a offline wallet, yep. which is a Trezor. I use the Trezor, but there's a number of them. So you How can also – um, how would I use an offline wallet? So it's like a USB. World? It's like right. a USB stick. So you would just uh, put it into your computer and then send your Bitcoin to the Trezor right. and then you remove it. So it's not and if online. if I wanted to, let's say, just buy a little bit of Bitcoin, how would I go about that? So the the um, easiest way to do it anonymously is a Bitcoin ATM, but they're quite high in premiums, but they're mm. very easy. So you would just put your money into an ATM and scan the code on your Mycelium wallet or your Trezor and the money will go, the the Australian dollars goes in and the Bitcoin comes out. And where would I find one of these? There's ATMs? one in East Vic Park. Right. So coin, uh, coinatmradar.com shows you all the ATM machines worldwide. And another way is localethereum.com, and that's like mm. a big eBay of, uh, of Ethereum. And there's localbitcoins.com, which is a big uh, marketplace for Bitcoin as well, and they and do anonymous. And that's where people will be offering up their Bitcoin for Actual money. That's correct, yeah. Um, so you can buy it and enter the market. That's correct, yeah. And then you would just um, have that Bitcoin sent into your wallet and you're, you're, you can transact straight away. That stays as it is and mm -hmm. um, you can transact and or come out of it another day. That's correct, yeah. Yeah, so if you wanted to, to turn it back to cash, you can use it to um, pay your bills with the living room of Satoshi brilliant Australian company. You can use that to pay all your utility bills now. Um, and I think they have other things you can you can use Bitcoin for. Hmm. Um, and I think Cointree are also working out how you can, uh, working on ways you can pay um, your bills. Actually, I think if you organise a Cointree account, you can pay money into the, pay cryptocurrency into your Cointree account and use that where you would use um, credit cards. Hmm. So I haven't actually used that yet. But there are many ways to spend your cryptocurrency. Yeah. And then, of course, you can turn it back to cash if you wanted to through an exchange or through um, the local Bitcoin or local Ethereum network. Cool. Yeah. So uh, switching one, switching from one uh, changing paradigm mm -hmm. and changing reality to another changing um, paradigm and reality. Uh, I mentioned in the start that you, you're very um, passionate about plant medicine and you had a business for a period of time. Explain to explain to the reader that doesn't quite get it. What do you mean by plant medicine and how did you come about it and why does it speak to you? So okay. Much? I started out with plants. I think I've always loved wild spaces. Mm. Um, and I think that's why I love the cryptosphere so much, cryptocurrencies. I love spaces where there's so much expression and I've always loved the bush. I would 
always be up in a tree um, or in the garden. I just have always loved wild spaces. And when I started working with plants, uh, I started in a kind of looking at the uh, energetic properties of plants. So I would really feel into what the energy of the plants is. And uh, at one stage, it was like introducing people. So I would introduce someone that came into the shop with a personality of a plant and make a match that way. So yeah. for me, plant medicine is just about um, unlocking the secrets of plants. And right. so, you know, things like chamomile and peppermint, things that you wouldn't even stop to witness inside yourself have information and unlock things um, within our experience of the world. So that's so, how it started for me. So we're talking beyond some sort of um, medical requirement, say, for mm. instance. Um, so say, for instance, you know, I swim in the ocean a lot. I get stung a lot. I put tea tree oil on, um, mm-hmm. which is the screen of my friends because they don't like the smell of it, but it is way more effective than stingos or anything like that because it takes yeah. the sting away. But you're talking about beyond that to actually by putting the tea tree oil on my body, it then brings more. Yes, you have the physiological effect of it and you can also um, bring your awareness to communication with the plant. Mm. So, you know, it unlocks things for us. It has an intelligence um, and definitely, of course, a really amazing physiological effect um, when we're taking it in the right way. So it kind of started out like that for me and I, I just uh, got to know many different personalities of, of herbs. How did you so, do that? Well, I, I used to play this amazing game where I used to um, I used to hold all the herbs for the Herb Growers Network in WA. So I had access to um, 150 different herbs at one stage. It was amazing. Wow. And every time the growers would send me more herbs, I would sit and meditate with the herb, and especially if it was a new herb I hadn't seen before, the dried plant material would come and I'd package it up and I'd sit with it and I would feel what was happening in my body. And And, uh, and I'm not a terribly sensitive person, I don't think more than anyone else, but I could really feel just in having a moment of silence something happening, my heart or, you know, my my skin or something would be happening with the herbs. So I really got to play this game and see how often I was right. And I think we can all do that, um, have that understanding of plants. Fascinating. So then how did you take that into, you then you know, took that into a business? But um, how have you taken that forwards and how do you actually use that now? Okay, so I um quite early on I'd heard about ayahuasca medicine and for me this is the the uh grandmother of all plants. It's the really wisdom keeper, the gatekeeper. Mm. So it was on my radar for many years before I actually got to experience the plant. Um and it was ten years ago now I had my first ayahuasca ceremony and it was such a revelation. It was such a revelation of uh, having this sensation my whole life that there is something more. There has to be something more to this really kind of dense um, mm. existence. And I grew up with quite conservative parents. So um, I, I always had that sensation. And after my first cup of ayahuasca, I was just blown away at the revelation that this there is this uh, amazing infinite consciousness um this incredible ancient technology that exists 
Um, and I, I was able to see the consciousness move through the room and um, explore the world. I, I read recently, and it had a bit of a um, correlation for me. It's a really interesting space to talk about because it is so intangible, but it had a correlation. The Buddhists talk about the drops. And for me, that's the closest um, I can find that describes it because it's like a um, a movement or a flutter or a so uh, you can send a wave through air so you can send a wave of love or you can send a wave of communication that then gets picked up mm. like your voice is coming here to me and my ears to the microphone and then being produced out and going into other people's ears that's correct but then more than just the voice so mm. the voice is the you know is the densest part of it but there are an infinite amount of layers of what's being um, communicated, communicated within what, what we're discussing. Um, and that goes out as well. And it goes out as a sensation that then can be, you know, depending on how we learn to listen, um, that can be translated, you know, to many wonderful things. There's an incredible. And so when you, when you had this first ceremony, and from what I understand, ceremony includes sitting there drinking the is it tea. It's a, yes. The tea. Um, usually shortly afterwards, purging the tea. Mm -hmm. It doesn't stay in for long from what I gather. And and then from there you go off on an experience. It's a psychedelic experience. It's, it? It is, it's interesting. I, I'd had mushrooms before, so I, I kind of understood this psychedelic yeah. space. Um, with ayahuasca. Which again is a plant medicine. Which is a, it is a plant medicine yeah. um, with two plants. It's a monoamino oxidase inhibitor, which is the carpi vine, that's mm. the one that we use, and then chacruna is the DMT component. Um, and it's very much a conversation. So I like it because it's not a one-way experience. It's very much a conversation. So you kind of guide the experience and you, you dance with the experience. And as much as you reach towards the mirror of the divine, the divine reaches back towards you and there is a meeting. Hmm. So it's very much a conversation. So can it be uh, scary? It can be scary, but in a wonderful way. Right. You know, in 10 years of working with this medicine, I've never seen people, I've seen people who are, you know, maybe left in process and left needing to kind of work stuff through, but never damaged. The story wasn't quite complete. And I, I like to think of it because it's a very endogenous experience to us. So we have, what do you mean by endogenous? We have DMT produced in our pineal glands yes. all the time. So when we're drinking ayahuasca, it allows us to experience the DMT in a very uh, kind of distilled, strengthened way. So it's almost like a distillation of the process of life. It's not something that mimics life and teaches us something on the side. It is life that's been distilled and, you know, so we can really, it's like experiencing so much life in five hours. Almost revealing what's truly happening. Mm -hmm. Um, there's a bit of me here that wants to wants to sort of draw the similarity between the transparency of um, blockchain and yes. seeing all the all the transactions that actually occur, and then from what you're saying, the the transparency of having layers removed so you can see things in more yes. truth light. Is it? Would you say there's a similarity? I find um, this point in my life, I'm so excited to be alive because I see the, the crypto sphere. That's, that's a beautiful thing to say. <laughs> I don't often think, 
encounter people who say, right now is the most beautiful time to be alive. It's crazy. Look at the world. It's like yeah. everything is deepening. There is so much. There is mm. so much. I mean, even in medicine, they've got neuroplasticity now. Like everything is becoming mm. more abstracted and more uh, um, consensual. Like it, the playing field is completely changing. And the yeah. crypto sphere for me is the kind of the more tangible realm of the um, ayahuasca, which is the more inner side of the same, the same, it's the same coin, different sides of the same coin. So um, I just find it such an exciting time to be alive, almost like there's a, a greater meeting of the abstracted world with the very dense world. Um, and I see it in every industry and everything. Things are deepening and opening and flowering. And I think it's an extremely um, exciting time to be alive. And, you know, a lot of us need uh, adrenal herbs to kind of stay calm because it's really quite And that's exciting. fantastic because, uh, you know, it's very easy to listen to people who will say that this is probably one of the one of the worst times to be alive. Mm -hmm. You know, you look at plastics in the ocean and you look at the fact that we're all running around and working um, to pay the man and yeah. we're becoming more and more uh, wage slaves and indebted. Mm. Um, and, you know, there's this climate change, there's this, there's that. And, mm. you know, we're wrecking the planet and there's, and there's a lot to be to think that we're not. So to hear the fact that it's, mm. it's an exciting time to be. And also it's very interesting because it appears as though we are more surveilled and more curtailed than we ever have in the past, but equally we are more free than we ever have been in the past. We are actually more free now than ever before. Why is that? Um, How? Well, Sorry. Because the, the administration that surveils us is so thin it's so thin. So whereas um, pre-Edward Snowden's big reveal, um, there may have been a lot more people sitting behind the desk, but mm. is there actually anyone sitting behind the desk now? So many things are not being um, prosecuted or, or uh, followed up by the authorities, and I scratch my head and wonder if there's actually anyone sitting behind the machine and if there's only 1% of the population actually owning um, most of the resources. Is there actually anyone behind the machine? Are we actually perhaps all free? And uh, and there's this theatrical play that's trying to um, get us to go this way or that way or this way or that and way. And keep us feeling like we're enclosed. In the yes, entire. when in actual fact, and and you know, with with cryptocurrencies and especially with privacy coins, we can we have an alternative now. We don't need to fight the system in order to you know create anything in an economic sense we have an alternative system there's no fight yes you know I, I heard somebody say i can't remember who it was that um at least sheep have sheep dogs um to mm. keep them in order we use it we we keep ourselves in order through no apparent reason other than fear yes that's right and that sovereignty again is just uh coming back to sit in the space of the fact that we look after our um, wealth we look after our decision making and we look after our identity mm. Um, and we don't take that from an authority. We, we generate that, you know, through our own experiences. Mm. And that's to be celebrated. All our different experiences is such a celebration. If you take it further into quantum physics, you, you, there's an, there's an element that we create our reality around us. That's right. Yeah. I mean, even on a belief level, you know, by structuring our own beliefs, we create our reality and what we see and what we perceive. Yes. And you take that further into the quantum field. And, and with quantum physics, I love thinking about the quantum superposition. It's like the, the zero. It's the haven't yet stepped 
in on a direction yet so everything is possible and that's such an abstract space and something I've loved exploring with the medicine is this quantum superposition of infinite possibilities and the more abstract we make the densest part of our parts of our world the more we kind of reach towards this quantum superposition um, and there's many masters now who say that we can actually access this space now we can meditate back into the quantum superposition and just you know, mold, mold our world accordingly. And yeah, definitely quantum physics supports it. It's so exciting to see what's happening with science at the moment. Hmm. So if we consider your journey with cryptocurrency, we consider your journey with um, plant medicines and ayahuasca. What has Kim learned about herself in the last three, four, five, six, seven years? Um, I, I believe that it's so hard to to come up with just one thing. I've learned so much um, from having children, from having these experiences with plant medicines, through being in witness. Um, and I guess the the biggest is is service, to be in service that to others. To others, to be in service to others. So being in community and it's how I gift and how I can serve and be um, within the community, that is the greatest joy for me. Um, so uh, there's so many things. Uh, another another really beautiful thing is the word respect, and I didn't really understand what that meant, but it's been developing within me that it's it's to look again, so respect, to look at something again and to be able to be in witness of things. If we could just be in complete witness uh, just even for a second, it's astounding to see the beauty around us and the incredible play of the world and of a flower even, just the, the very tiny things, just to be able to really be present and with something is just the most incredible thing. So I, I really find uh, solace in, in presence. Awesome, <laughs> awesome. So if, if we start to look at um, the next three to five years, what does it look like for you? You personally, I'm really enjoying being with a cryptocurrency community and watching it grow and flourish and seeing all the diverse people coming in. Um, so I would really love to to continue building this community and working with people with cryptocurrencies. Um, I see in three to five years, I believe the world will be a completely different place. I think the shape of the planet will change. Mm. The borders will will soften. Um, I'm really loving watching my children um, grow and express and um, seeing how they kind of interact with Bitcoin mum. So, you know, just transferred their pocket money savings into Bitcoin and Ethereum uh, today. So, and they have their little silver holdings and I'm, I'm enjoying watching the way they enter the world because it's really, truly going to be different to the world I came into when I was, um, seven, eight years old. Hmm. That's, um, but I guess the part of that question was how do you see things working for you? You've given us a, you've given me a response in terms of how the world, you see the world mapping out and how your children yeah. mapping out. Yeah, how yeah. do you see things mapping out for you in the next three to five years? I would like to be working in community. I would like to be um, more light 
on my feet in terms of um, being able to travel more, you know, travel travel more with the kids. Mm. Um, and I would like to um, finish studying cryptocurrencies. I'm currently doing a course with the University of Nicosia, so I'd like to um, continue, finish my studies there and continue working with cryptocurrencies. Mm. And I'd also like to deepen that, my sorry. understanding. That seems strange that you can do a course <laughs> in the university about cryptocurrencies that can just opening and opening at any given time. But there you go. Yeah, yeah. Where, you know, university often is, is, is related to historical studies essentially, and, and then at this point in time. Yeah. It's ever-changing. It's ever-changing. Mm. So for yeah. me, the university part is just understanding some of the technical mm. bits, getting okay. all the details correct. Um, yeah. But sorry, you were saying about um, you want to continue your studies. Mm -hmm. And continue working in cryptocurrencies. And also um, I'm loving um, working in the conversations about um, Bitcoin to really open you know, open the um, view because a lot of the talk recently has been about price. So I love being able to impact the conversation to, you know, have a look at all the other amazing things this technology can do and that it, it's not, it, sure, it's an investment, but it's not just an investment. It's also a technology. It's an incredible technology, something we've never seen before on the planet. So really opening up the conversation and seeing where it goes. So I'd like to continue working in that way. What do you do to keep yourself grounded? Um, I love swimming. Um, I think the biggest grounding thing is my children. So, you know, at the end of every day, it's my kids. At the beginning of every day, it's my kids. Um, and just yeah, being with them, well, they're, they're very earthing, yeah. And, and just being in complete acceptance, and I'm certainly not there all the time. But <laughs> <laughs> Superb. Yeah. Um, What's one thing we'd be surprised to know about, Kim? To know about me? Yes. Um, oh, surprised to know about me. I think I'm actually quite a shy person. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I want to work in service and I want to be building communities and I put myself out there a bit, but I'm actually, you know, I'm quite a shy person. So um, I don't think I don't think people might necessarily know that about me at first uh, first glance because you're very well spoken yeah 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 cool so where does where does that uh, push where does that shyness come from or where's that push to come out of it come from where, where is it oh oh i'm not sure i think the push to come out is definitely the desire to uh to stretch like you know it's one thing to say the world is infinite possibilities and quantum superposition. We can do everything. We can yes. do anything. But it's quite another to actually step into that place and, and do anything. grasp something and actually, you know, mould it and make something with it. It's quite another thing. And it's a stretch, you know, but that stretch is awesome. So I feel, you know, I feel shy, but I, I also love the stretch. I love the space of stretching. And I think, you know, every day that you do something that's really stretched you and challenged you, that's a good day. Mm. Yeah. Superb. Mm. Now, if if you could, now I understand that <laughs> before actually fully completing your uh, accountancy training, um, you sat on a boat in Greece, on a boat in Greece, and then checked your notes in the ocean mm -hmm. uh, and decided that you were going on a different life to that of an accountant. If you could go back to that, if this Kim could go back to that Kim at that point in time, 
what piece of advice would you give her and not get into Bitcoin earlier? Because it's not worth it. <laughs> oh, great question. Great question. Just that, number one, it will be all right and there is no need to cut any part of yourself off. So I had a judgment on myself with accounting. This is such an arbitrary description of the world. Accounting is so, you know, rules-based. I had such mm. a judgment on myself. And in 2014, I really started to see the skills that I had learnt back then coming into play. And with the, my medicine work, I really saw that kind of wild hippie part of myself and that accountant's kind of, I saw them make friends. So if I could go back to myself on that boat, I would say, sure, throw these notes away and uh, you are going to be fine. It is all okay, but you will leave no part of yourself. You are whole and it is all useful and everything leads to the moment, even when you can't see it. Excellent. Yeah. And what's the best piece of advice you've been given? Accept. So you feel shy, accept that. You feel disappointed, accept that. Um, you feel happy, accept that. To really work on thorough acceptance that we're not trying to um, necessarily change the world. We're just accepting it. We're watching it and rolling with it and accepting each bit, the greater our appreciation I find that with my kids, when I appreciate something with my children, it grows. So I just, I'm just in acceptance and witnessing. That's probably the, the best advice I've been given. Awesome. Mm -hmm. Kim, thank you so much for coming on today. Thank, thank you for sharing you. your knowledge. I'm sure um, there are even more questions around cryptocurrency from listening to this that people may have. How do they find you and your group? Okay, so... Um, on Facebook, I'm Kim Gibson Newton. So that's probably the easiest way to find me. Um, and then if you contact me there, uh, I can then arrange for, um, people to enter our private group. So if you're interested in cryptocurrencies, come and find me at Kim Gibson Newton on Facebook. Give me a personal message. Um, and we can sit down and chat about it. Excellent. Excellent. Again, thank you so much for coming and explaining your knowledge of cryptocurrency being very open with your, your background in plant medicine and also in, in sharing you and your little journey with this. It's, um, yeah, it's been super insightful. I've got so much to um, think about and cogitate. Um, mm. We may yet have you back on the show with another round of questions. <laughs> Indeed. Uh, I'd also like to thank the listeners for listening in. I'm pretty sure you'll have had stacks out of this. There'll be tons to think about. And, you know, in, in considering how to be all you can be, it's not just the actions you can take within yourself. It's also um, looking at how you can control how, where your resources and money go. And this is another way that we can start to take control and take action for ourselves rather than just letting go to whatever's happening around us and, and abdicating our responsibility and control. So thank you very much for listening in. Kim, thanks for your time. Thank you, Bryn. Thank you.